You are listening to Wait a Minute with Beth and Jessica, episode 34. I'm Jessica Pearson, certified body image and weight loss coach. And I'm Beth Barnett-Babel, integrative nutrition therapist. Hey, everyone. It's been a minute since we have shared some good old-fashioned nutrition advice. And usually when people think about nutrition and advice, they assume that we just need to always make big sweeping changes. But what is actually sometimes needed is returning to the basics and making sure that we are doing our best when it comes to the base ingredients. In culinary school, we had a very wonderful macrobiotics teacher, and she talked about the importance of the quality of some of these key things, which were our water, salt, and fats. And so this podcast is in honor of the lovely Tina, and we hope you learned something new today. Yes, water, salt, and fat are three of my favorite things. So I'm excited <laughs> to talk about that. So first, let's talk about salt. Okay. There definitely was a time, thanks to diet culture or, or bad medicine, right? But it was like salt really got a bad rap. Mm-hmm. And I think it still can, right? So like low-sodium diets, however, are not the complete story, right? So when we hear people that are like, I've been put on a low-sodium diet, it's like mm-hmm. not always necessarily the best answer for them or for everyone, right? So we do know there are some conditions where definitely like excess salt is not ideal, but for kind of just like the regular people that are kind of healthy and walking around the world, like low sodium is not necessarily the answer, right? So let's talk more about salt. Yes. So I will quickly address the whole, there are some people that do need to be on a low salt diet and primarily either because of genetics. Some people are very salt sensitive, meaning that they have a smaller threshold of how their body, particularly their kidneys, are able to maintain their salt level. So they might genetically retain more salt. So they are salt sensitive. And so therefore they don't excrete the excess amount. And so then it does affect blood pressure. So having Mm -hmm. too much salt, the main effect is that it increases your blood pressure. Really why so many people have high blood pressure these days as a result of high salt in their diet is because a lot of processed foods in order to taste the way that they do have a lot of salt in them. So we've just kind of gotten used to that salty taste. And then the other reason why is because we don't have enough potassium from fruits and vegetables to counterbalance all of the salt. So many people can have, if you eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, I'm talking like in the neighborhood of six plus servings of of vegetables and then, you know, uh, a few servings of fruit a day, you probably will be getting enough potassium to counterbalance out a good bit of high quality salts in your diet. Before we talk about these fun facts about salt, what kind of salt do you like to use? I personally use a sea salt for most things, like a really fine sea salt. Oh, it comes in this like red bang. We used to always use the blue container. I don't remember Mm -hmm. the names of any of these at a culinary school. And so, yeah, I typically use a sea salt. And then after that, I like to use Himalayan salt is another one of my favorites. From time to time, I use kosher salt. Yeah. What do you use? 
Just like you, I think I have a variety. If you look to my spice pantry, there's like six different kinds of salt. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> One is because my parents brought some salts home from Hawaii. So I have some like mm. fancy different salts, like a yellow and a pink and a black. Like oh, one's yeah. a black lava salt, which is I pretty had those. fun. Yeah, I used to have those. I finally used them all up. Took me forever because they are very coarse and it goes a lot, a lot of weight. It's like, there's very salty. Yeah. So I just, I use those like for, if I'm going to make like a stew or a soup so that it will kind of like dissolve into the water. It's not like a finishing salt. Yeah. I feel like just saying the word finishing salt, people are like, what does that mean? Right. So there's like the salt we put into the food while we cook it, or there's the salt that we put on top of our food. And something that I remember Tina also teaching us, it's like, it's more ideal to cook it into your food than necessarily put it on top of your food. But from a like culinary standpoint, who doesn't love like a flaky salts on top of like you know a radish on butter on toast or something I mean you know? it's one of my faves that <laughs> that is like I love that as like a warm weather food yeah so the macrobiotic way is to salt your food three times so you add a pinch of your salt over three times of cooking it I personally when I make a lot of things like to do most of the salt while cooking and then add that little bit at the end to bring out all the flavors mm-hmm. especially when making beans or things with a lot of spices in it yeah there's yeah there's so many ways to use salt but I definitely yeah. just typically use sea salt as kind of my base and then if I have these extra salts also you know I love smoked salt I think you like Ooh, smoked yes, salt too. I love smoked salt yes yeah Himalayan is nice to have on hand I usually don't use kosher. I don't know why. It's just, it is in more coarse salt that I don't, I don't know. It's something about the way it's packaged. That it's a big box. It's in the way. So, yeah, but I do like it. So I like all the salts. I just usually try to avoid, you know, like the, the table salt as you know, whenever, but if I'm at a restaurant, I'm not like never going to touch it, you know? So mm-hmm. I just, you know, like the variety. Okay. So the types of salt that we just all mentioned, one of the things that is important about the types of salt is the source and the processing of how to get that salt. So table salt is pretty much like kind of extracted out from a mine, typically. So it's not really well cared for, doesn't have very many other minerals in it. Like sea salt, I like to use because it does have some other minerals in it, including iodine. So table salt now has to have iodine in it. And the reason is, is because there are many regions of the world, including the United States, where there's not a lot of iodine in the soil. And so because of that, people would get goiters on their thyroid. And so then those, these goiters cause health issues, obviously. And so then they started to iodize the salt so we could get enough iodine because we were consuming salt with all of our food. But with sea salt, you do get some of that in there. Kosher, I can't remember if I've saw. I already looked this up because kosher is mined like table salt. Okay. There is no iodine added to it. Oh, okay. But it is kosher, right? So yeah. it's been through the process that makes it kosher. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I think about the iodine because sea salt also does not have iodine added to it, but Correct. it has natural. the natural, right? Yes. So it's the, mm-hmm. it's the natural iodine. So that's probably one of the reasons why I do aim for sea salt over other salts because I do want to get some of the iodine in, but you can also supplement with iodine if you want to. Yeah, it's in my multivitamin in small amounts. So the argument is often, well, there's not enough iodine in sea salt. 
And my counter argument is if your only source of iodine is salt, then your your diet as a whole needs some support in increasing its nutritional value. And then, so I also was looking at Himalayan salt because a lot of people yeah. call it Himalayan sea salt or just Himalayan salt. And it's like, what a, is it? Yeah. So it used to be on a seabed, but then we had a formation of a mountain, which is, you know, the seabed or those tectonic plates push and form that land upward, creating a, a mountain. So then that sea salt bed is now in the mountain. And so then they extract it out of that. So that's why it's called Himalayan sea salt, but it's really in a mountain. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, I was reading as still one of the more pure options because obviously the the sea salt mining that is happening now includes potential plastics and other things that we don't necessarily want in our foods. But what was interesting is that I did see a stat that said 90% of table salt has microplastics. So, But I couldn't find a stat that said what percentage of sea salt had microplastics in it. So there's not like actually a ton of hard data on this. There's not, and they're not going to be able to test it, to be honest with you. And they also say that fish has microplastics in it as well. And so the thing is, is our exposure to microplastics are so high that if we start taking out everything that is microplastics, we are left with basically nothing, not much. You know, we're really discounting a lot of foods that still offer a lot of nutritional benefits. Mm. So I really don't think it's necessary to avoid sea salt and sea-based protein for the microplastic content, you know, that I think that that's right. less of a worry. Well, also, if you're going to be that concentrated on plastics, like first do a hard look at the amount of other plastics in your life. Yeah. Because that's a lot easier to have control over. Yeah, because like, especially that's one of the things that I look at, which we can talk about in fats, I suppose, but try to buy a lot of some of those things in glass in glass because of the plastic. So anyways, yeah, I'd rather worry about my, my plastics and microplastics in other sources. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So before we talk about the benefits of salt, just kind of want to glaze over. So a variety of salts is great. You don't have to stick to just one and, you know, looking for some of those Sea salts or Himalayan salts are going to also provide more natural mineral content than, mm-hmm. say, like a table salt or a kosher salt. Correct. Oh, yeah. And quickly, like just, well, what, what is MSG and sodium nitrate? Like these are salts that are basically made in a lab. And we're not going to talk about whether those are good or bad, but it's just like, you know, it's science salt versus natural salt. Okay. Right? Yep. <laughs> okay. I feel like that could be a whole other thing. So we'll just kind of leave it there. Okay. So why do we need salt, Beth? Okay, so the reason why we need salt is that it is a major part of our electrolyte system. And so that is what balances out the water between in cells and out of cells. So that electrical charge that is needed. And so that is important. It also is an important factor in blood pressure regulation, which the kidneys help to maintain that balance by either holding on to salt or excreting excess salt. That's like the main reason. And so if you are not consuming enough salt, sweat a bunch out, you know, if you live in Texas and you happen to walk more than five feet, um, (laughs) just kidding. We're sweating a lot this summer. So anyways, it can cause headaches, muscle cramps, the same as potassium. It helps with like some of the brain things. So anyway, so salt has a wide variety of metabolic functions, but its main one is 
electrolyte balance. So that way we have that normal electrical charge between inside and outside the cell, water and correct balances inside and outside the cell. And then also to maintain blood pressure. So we don't want low salt because then sometimes that can affect um, getting enough blood pressure Too high salt, too high blood pressure causes damage to what are those things called (laughs) you know our vessels thank you our vessels big and large vessels and then yeah well yeah so salt is going to help keep you hydrated because we know that salt holds on to water yes and so we don't want to be dehydrated especially in the summer but yeah and and really like your kidneys are efficient and at excreting the extra salt assuming Mm -hmm. you don't have any kidney issues but we don't create sodium if we don't create it but we can pull it from other places along with magnesium and calcium right so we don't want to pull it from our bones because that's not ideal so you know, I also read, I pulled these numbers where it said the USDA recommendation for salt was 23 milligrams or mm, sorry, not 2300. <laughs> yeah. Very different. You know, but then this Instagram doctor, which I'm sure is fully factual, oh, right? Yes, I'm sure. But he does talk a ton about salt and I really liked what he had to say. So therefore, he must be right. Just kidding. But kind of what he was saying is somewhere above that, closer to three, up to even five, depending on your activity and you know, how much you're sweating is going to be a better balance for a lot of people. Yeah. So 2,300 milligrams is one teaspoon of salt. Like that's not very much. Yeah. So like if you make, you know, a giant pot of stew, I mean, I guess I'd probably put like one teaspoon in like a six serving. Right. So then that's not going to be very much. Yeah. You know, so yeah. So I think you can go upwards, assuming you have normal blood pressure, If you were sweating, because you have to replenish that, and if you were getting lots of potassium-rich sources. So that's what really matters, is being able to balance it out there. And so if you ate a bunch of potassium-rich foods and almost no salt, you would actually have the other one, when, when you have too much potassium, which can cause heart attacks and death. So it happens. Yeah. I was just Googling a McDonald's hamburger to see how much sodium is in it. <laughs> it it's actually a, not, it's it was, not too bad. It said five, 10 mil- milligrams. So it's, I thought I was going to say like 2000. So oh. yeah, it's not so, I mean, you know, but it's, it's still like a lot of times process, more processed foods condense the amount of salt in something versus if you were to make it and add your own salt at home. And that's why a lot of times when we get people cooking in their own kitchen at home, mm-hmm. you know, people are afraid to use salt or to add salt, but I'm like, it's definitely okay to season your food with salt. You want it to taste good. Mm-hmm. And it's, you're never going to add as much salt as a restaurant would or processed food would because yeah. it would be like impossible to do it. Yeah. The most salt foods um, you know, in terms of like foods you buy at the store are frozen foods because it helps with taste after it gets heated up and also helps with preservation. But the other thing is canned foods because it really helps in preserving the foods. So, um, so those are the two main places, like the soups tend to be the highest I, I, from what I remember. And then of course, like things like chips and, and whatnot will have a good amount of salt, but by and large, those are the two um, biggest sources of salt that we would consume the outside of a restaurant. Yeah. If we were buying those types of foods from the store. I did read one final fun fact that I knew would be sad for both of us, which is that coffee and caffeine 
depletes <laughs> sodium. <laughs> so like it just, I mean, I, I currently am only on one cup of decaf because I just got off this detox or mm-hmm. I'm about to finish it. So um, I, I don't know, but I guess it sounds like two cups, which would be a close to like a hundred milligrams of caffeine. One cup is about 30 to 50, you know, mm-hmm. they vary depending mm-hmm. on what kind of coffee you're drinking, but that's about 600 milligrams of sodium loss just from having two Oh, because of, of the diuretic? Because yes, coffee yes. acts as a diuretic, so it's pulling out more salt. Yeah. So if you're drinking like six cups of coffee, then you're losing quite a bit of sodium, which also, this is totally in theory, but it's like if you're losing that much sodium and you're drinking that much coffee, it's like that would be potentially not great for your kidneys, for your bones, you know, for everything else. So just. Yeah. So that's interesting how that's functioning. So it's like revving up your adrenal system, but making it more challenging on your kidney system, which also helps. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. I know. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's move on to water. Okay. This topic. Yeah. So water is life. <laughs> so if we we can make it much longer without food than we can without water. So if you know we get into a situation where we don't have access to food or water, we will only make it like two two maybe three days without water. So it's really important to us. Our body is mostly made of water. So having good quality water is like tops for me. Yeah. What do you do at home for better water? So currently our best thing is we have the home water filter that we've, you know, hooked up to our, our water line. So that is because in Austin we have chloramines. So, which is ammonia plus chlorine. So we filter that out and then it filters out some of the other stuff. I mean, is it getting everything Probably not, but I also don't want to go to reverse osmosis, so yeah. Yeah, I think it's just kind of doing what works for you. It doesn't have to be perfect, which is our message usually across the board, right? Like we're just, we can take it up a level, whatever that means for you. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, we bought our house in 2019 right before the pandemic. It's like a 10-year-old home. We did not invest in changing the water system. So we have a Berkey filter. So we're just filling the Berkey and drink out of the Berkey. And, you know, that filters out like bacteria, heavy metals. One of the big things I think is really important that we don't talk enough about in this world is the pharmaceuticals, you know, that are just floating around in our water. And and by pharmaceuticals, it could be ibuprofen, it could be hormones from birth control, like there's so much in there. Yeah, there's that. And then there's also um, from runoff as well. Like I've read a number of studies about glyphosate, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, from Roundup type products getting into the the water supply as well. So that coming in through the regular water supply. Yeah, that's fun. I saw a post that they were like, this was what an Austin water pipe looks like on the inside, you know, and it's just so old and it's like filled with so old gunk. And I was like, oh, (laughs) and I think that we relatively compared to a lot of other places and cities have pretty decent tap water, Mm -hmm. you know, by comparison. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just interesting to think like if we have decent, like what is... (laughs) What does bad look like? I don't know, but well, it looks like Flint, Michigan. Oh, well, yeah, like. that's yeah. the ultimate 
extreme. That's the worst you can do, right? So yeah, it's just over time, you know, some of the things that are in our control and some things are not like the aging infrastructure of your city definitely can play a role and that sort of thing. So it just really, so, you know, I do my best. Um, it's probably not, but I also don't worry myself sick about it either. No, no. <laughs> so there's that, like, But I know like when I used to live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area a long time ago, and then even when we lived in the um, outside D.C., the water smells like straight up pool water. Because it's just It's so strong of chlorine that you can smell it like when you turn it on. I was like, because even back then I wasn't as into these things as I am now. And I was like, I can't, I can't be good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever been anywhere where it smells like sulfur coming out of the tap? Only places that are on well water. Yeah. That's it. That's the only yeah. place. Um, and what the place I stayed in New Mexico was, um, since it was out in the desert, it was well water and it smelled sulfury, but I've smelled worse sulfur yeah. water. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. Do you, do you care about pH? Is I that- do. So... But this is tricky because it's hard to measure. I guess you could get those little strips and um, see, you know, what the pH of your water is. But, you know, we want our water to be neutral or alkaline. When it's alkaline, it has more minerals in it. We're already acid producing individuals and acid production does create disease. And we do have buffering systems within our body to bring the acid loaded down. But the breakdown of the foods we eat of carbohydrates, proteins, and fats naturally creates acid as well. And so I want to kind of minimize my water adding to that as much as possible. Do I measure my water's pH? No. Am I curious now? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So now I'm like, oh, I might go see if I have, I think I have some, some test strips. Have you, have you heard of the Kangen machine? Well, I had forgot all about it. And then the place I went to in New Mexico had one of those and it was so fascinating you know, using it and it wasn't that hard. The gal had bought one on Craigslist for like $500, which was oh, that's like a, a steal. deal. Yeah. It was a total steal because they're usually way more expensive. They're like 3000 at minimum. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it was super neat and it was like a very easy process to use. They have to clean it a little bit more because of the well water. But other than that, like it was, it was pretty interesting. So I, from time to time will go here in Texas by crazy water. It's from, I love uh, crazy water. Uh, it's from you know, the uh, wells. wells in, where is it from? Mineral Springs, something well Springs, something somewhere up near the Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, and they have all these different mineral wells concentration. So it's like natural mineral water and you have three different levels. And it's really all about like taste because some people really don't like that taste of like the highest mineral content water. I love it. The number four, this is going to sound weird, but it tastes like milk to me. (laughs) I don't know. It's like the calcium or what. It's like smooth. It almost tastes creamy. Yeah. 
I, I can't, I haven't had the four in a really long time. I usually get three. I miss it. And I will say like, if you drink like reverse osmosis water or distilled water or anything like that, you do need to make sure you're getting extra minerals in either putting them in your water yourself. There are different ways to do that or making sure you're getting the extra from food because it strips all of that out. That mineral content that we get from our water is actually an important source of our amount throughout the day. So if you're drinking reverse osmosis, distilled water, that type of thing, please replete it with more minerals. Yeah. So this kind of goes without saying, but I feel like we have to say it here, which is single use plastic water bottles are not ideal <laughs> for many yeah. reasons, right? right. We, don't, we don't really want to drink the water out of plastic whenever possible. Not that we never do it, right? There's, right. There's times, times you that it to. happens. Yeah. But you know, to our best ability, like get a refillable water bottle and try to use that as much as you can. And then we also need to address the bubbly water, the <laughs> sparkling water that we all, it seems like as a society, we've really taken to over the last, you know, five to 10 years. People are like, well, if I drink this, do I still have to drink regular water? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your body cannot handle that much bubbles. I mean, I guess it could, but it's not really that it's not ideal for you to consume that much carbonation. There are some that are better than others. There's a compound in Topo Chico that has been there. They did a study on it. They forget the science name of it, but they tested it and it's, you know, can be cancer causing, I believe. I don't know, some, some additive that they add, but they have since reduced the amount of that it contained because Topo Chico contained the most of whatever it was. And so that has been reduced, but it's still there. But like all those gas bubbles are challenging. So if you're struggling with excess belching and flatulence, maybe look to see how much yeah, just general, water you're drinking. Yeah bloating just people are like I don't know I can't stop burping and then they're like oh I do drink four cans of yeah so that does like that we're just not our 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 pipe that goes from mouth to anus is not designed to have that much gas in it um, or air bubbles so that's like when people eat really fast they get a lot of air in there and can cause discomfort as well so just you know kind of think about that yeah I like to have it, it as another option because mostly I'm only drinking water so sometimes I'm like ooh, my sparkling water is so exciting right but I do I try to keep it to one a day tops if even that so yeah I have gotten to uh, since you know we've had to drink so much water this summer more so than usual I have really fallen in love with the trace minerals electrolyte packets there's like tons of flavors there is a smidge of stevia in it but it doesn't have that hit you over the head stevia <sighs> flavor like there's just some things where you just can't avoid it and so yeah. i have to i have to say that i've really enjoyed that because i i actually feel like I'm getting hydrated if I have at least one of those a day. I felt like I was could not get hydrated just because of how hot it was and how much we were sweating or are sweating. So I got to, mm -hmm. yeah. Got those electrolytes, which goes got back to the salt, right? So yes. <laughs> it's like water and salt, they're friends. Okay, yep. so let's talk about oil. Okay, so this one is like a big one that I feel like we never, people really don't, <laughs> that we work with really don't quite take me serious on this one, but the quality of our oils is like really, really important. And 
I really would like for people to really start to pay attention to this more and start to start to make these changes. One of the reasons why I feel like people don't feel well when they eat out frequently is because of the quality of the oils. All of our cells have this what's called a lipid bilayer. So it is a fat with a little fat tail and then like there's a little fat globule and then like these little, you know, fat tail and then another little fat on the other side. And so this like protective layer, so you got to got to think back to however long it was that you last <laughs> did biology. Soft, soft yeah. cell. <laughs> yeah. So it like our all of our cell membranes are fat based and it's really important because the that layer, the phospholipid bilayer is there to help like decide, you know, what is the concentration of water and electrolytes across the cell. They determine what else can come through the cell. So it doesn't make your cells all like, you know, open and leaky and everything can come in and out of them because that could be total chaos. It also is really important for communication. So there's a lot of like little messengers that happen on it. There's these really cool cellular videos where there's like this, I don't know exactly what the molecule is, but you can kind of see this other like molecule that's got fats on the bottom. And it's basically this like walking molecule walking across these cells. And it's so fascinating. And so our cell wall is really important. You know, we don't want it to be too rigid and that can happen from eating lots of saturated fats or from eating low quality fats that have been oxidized, meaning more air. It's been kind of turned and added more oxygen to them, another oxygen compound to it. And so that can cause issues as well because our body doesn't use it in the same way. So really, I think that this is super important. Well, when you were talking about the little walking molecule, I was thinking about hormones, right? Which also like cholesterol and hormones, those are some of the, yeah, yeah, those are all fat based, right? So if, if our, if our foundation of our fat layers is not doing well, then our cholesterol and our hormones are not going to be doing well. Well, the cholesterol is from cholesterol. So you, so we make some cholesterol. So if you were a vegan, you can still make cholesterol. However, sometimes people don't make enough cholesterol. And so then you won't make enough hormones. So the quality of your cholesterol is important. And that goes with animal fats. Yeah. So it, it's a compound within the fat structure, but it's its own compound, but they are found together. In plant-based foods, we wouldn't find cholesterol, but we would find fats. But the quality of the cholesterol does matter the amount and types because, yes, cholesterol is the foundation and goes on to make our fight or flight hormones that we do need. You know, we need cortisol. It helps wake us up in the morning and keeps our energy going. If something does happen and we need to um, have a fight or flight moment, it is available to us. It also then goes on to make all of our sex hormones and is important in that way. So we definitely need cholesterol but the type matters. And so if it becomes oxidized, then oxidized fats cause inflammation and inflammation creates disease mm. within the arteries. Yeah. So. so 
Did you, sorry, did you talk about the saturated versus unsaturated? Saturated versus unsaturated fats. So typically what we'll hear about is saturated fats and then all other fats. So um, saturated fat is predominantly animal-based, but it can also be in the tropical oils like palm and coconut oil. And some of it is good. Like we need some saturated fat is helpful for us. Like, but all of our fat to come from that is not helpful. And what that means is, is that it's a carbon structure. So fats are carbon structures. And so there's no double bonds. It's just a straight carbon chain. And so it doesn't have the flex. And so with other fats, like the monounsaturated fats, they um, have... Uh, some double bonds in there. And then that creates some of that, that flex in there. And so it's good to have that, that, that mix in there. Which goes back to what we were talking about salt, like vary it up, right? You know, we don't have to be married to one kind of fat and be obsessed or, you know, overthink it too much, but just keeping it in mind. And usually what I think is like, we can always upgrade the types of fats that we have at home so easily and start to cook more at home, you know, using these fats. Like you could still make a cheese enchilada dinner, you know, something that you would eat out that is like, you know, comforting and delicious, but just upgrading your, you know, fat and salt is going to be a huge improvement versus like going to takeout because we know that restaurants are trying to profit. They have to make money. The oils that they're buying are going to be the lowest quality because oils are expensive. Even the cheap yeah. ones at mass quantities are going to be expensive. Mm-hmm. So most restaurants, you know, luckily in Austin, we have a couple that are invested in upgraded oils, but most are not. Yeah. So anytime you're cooking at home, if you have, you know, invested in some of these nicer quality oils, that's going to make a big difference. Yes. Yeah. So the science is really out there about the, how important monounsaturated fats are in terms of heart health versus even polyunsaturated fats, which are some, those are like your grapeseed and vegetable oil fats. So your monounsaturated or the MUFAs as we like to call them is extra virgin olive oil and avocado oil. And then the PUFAs are most of your other vegetable and seed oils. I can't remember. Flax, I think is, is a PUFA. I think. You say poof, poofa? Yeah, polyunsaturated <laughs> fatty acid. <laughs> but it's a lot It's a lot easier to say poofa and mufa than to say polyunsaturated uh, this fat, is my fatty new favorite acid. Word. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you read that up because I feel like the internet is against seed oils right now. Like it's all oh, about like, it's yeah. happening again? Are we going yeah, back no. to this? They're like, seed oils should be banned. We should just, you know, arrest people that are making seed oils because, you know, the the wellness on the internet goes full extreme. Why? Just they think, oh, I mean, yes, there, there are some that are not ideal. Would we be better to eat the actual seeds? Yeah, definitely. But there's a place for them. Um, if you're going to use high heat cooking, like I am definitely not opposed to grapeseed oil. Like, you know, I just, there's a time I, I, I do enjoy sesame seed oil. I think it's delicious. I like to use it, yeah. but you have to be careful with how high of a heat you go with it because whenever we do use high heat and oxidize them, they do become inflammatory for us. So we do need to be aware of that, but there's a time and a place. And when I, I should also point out that this is like the consistency of your fat intake is one meal a week. That's going to have beef fried food going to like take out your cells. No, probably not. 
You know, like this is like, what are the oils and fats that you're consuming on a daily day in day out basis versus like that one off meal, um, that is potentially fried or oxidized or whatever. I wish I could know, like when I'm sauteing something, what is, what is the temperature? I've never actually thought about that until right now. Cause like, you know, I will buy a high heat oil for like a stir fry, but I'm not using a wok, you know, and like in a restaurant, they do use really high heat because they have those huge burners and Mm. they're trying to cook really quickly. Where at home, I'm like, how hot am I really getting it? (laughs) I don't even know. I think I looked this up once. It's not very, I didn't go very far. I got bored. Um, (laughs) Is is that, I think medium heat is around 300 to 350. Yeah. And so yeah. you start going, getting up to high. And this also depends on your stove, <laughs> like gas versus right. electric and induction. Like there's a wide range of what high means on your stove. Sure. And so high can be anywhere from 400 up. Yeah. Which also an easy way to know there's a difference between steam and smoke. And if your fat is smoking in a pan, then it has gone above its smoke point, which is, you know, if for, for whatever reason that happens, I usually... It's usually because I put the fat in the pan, I walked away, and then oh. it burned. So I will almost always just clean it out. I don't Start do that again. anymore. My hard rule is like, don't walk away from the stove. I wish I could say that about myself. I, at least twice a week, I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my <laughs> husband will turn the heat on the burner, the the strongest burner on the highest amount and walk away. And I'm like, dude, you can't do that. It's going to like... <laughs> Yeah, it will bite you back if you do that. So that's just kind of one of those things I'm like, you got to watch the stove. Or if you do need to walk away, turn the heat way down so that you don't have to ruin your meal or, you know, reuse your oil. So by and large, I would say that your primary fat should be extra virgin olive oil. And I don't buy Italian extra virgin olive oil because most of it is not real. It's been altered in some way they did. I mean, I don't know if they changed their ways after they did um, the study to see like what's what. And most of it was like not all olive oil. Um, A lot of it is old and has gone rancid. So if you open up oils and what, how would you describe that smell that of a rancid fat? I don't even... You just have to use your intuition and know that it doesn't smell right. <laughs> yeah, like it doesn't smell right. Like um, it should have like either no smell or like a slight fragrant, um, like extra virgin olive oil, depending on, you know, where it's from, can be quite fragrant in the way that it tastes and smells. So it's just like a, it's a weird smell. But anyway, so always smell that your oils, avocado oil is, can be really helpful as well. I keep that around. But when you get into the outside of the extra virgin olive oil, what is happening is, is they're trying to get, they're trying to maximize their profits. And so they are going to do a second, and I don't know if, if they do, but maybe even a third press of the olives to try to extract anything out. But in order to do that, they have to add hexane to it. And hexane is a chemical. And so you're adding hexane and olive oil to get non-extra virgin olive oil. And then I do use butter, but I use grass-fed butter, like the Kelly... Kerrygold. Kerrygold, thank you. Kerrygold butter, I like to use those. And then some people use ghee, and that's fine. Ghee works because all the milk... It's just butter with all the milk solids removed. So if you struggle with 
dairy, then ghee could actually work for you, but it does not bake well. And then what about, what about like tallow or like animal? Yeah, so it's going to be um, higher saturated fat. So it's higher saturated fat. And then the only caveat to that is you want to know where that came from. Right. (laughs) And so if it was, you know, you know, a a pasture raised grass fed tallow, great. If it was feedlot tallow, probably, you know, it's going to be not good quality. It's going to be oxidized. So, yeah, so that is important. And then the other place that um, if you eat animal products that your fat matters um, from is um, when we eat animal fats, what they eat determines the quality of their fats, then, then determines how it functions in our body. So, for example, we keep seeing all this the stuff that coming up about pasture-raised and grass-fed and all of that. And so what happens is, is like if they eat pasture-raised, they're eating their natural diet. So they're making more omega-3 fatty acids and less omega-6 arachidonic acids. And so when we have more arachidonic acid come into, they are have more arachidonic acid in their marbling and we consume that, it is much more pro-inflammatory and it's going in an inflammatory process versus like the omegas or other fats in being metabolized in a different way to be beneficial for us. And so the quality of our animal protein does matter. And a lot of it has is because of the fats that we're consuming. What about like nut oil and not like peanut oil, obviously, but like, you know, those little jars that we like that have like hazelnut oil or pecan oil that are- No heat whatsoever. Yeah, those are just like finishing oils. They're finishing oils. So they're really good for like salads. You know, you've cooked something and you want like that little, that slit flavor Mm -hmm. to impart a little bit of that flavor, then you would put it on that. Yeah, those you cannot heat at all. And all of these oils need to be purchased in not clear bottles. So it needs, because exposure to light um, oxidizes them and they need to be closed. So like putting them on the counter with those little open little tops, it needs to have a little, you know, that little flap that can close because when it's exposed to oxygen, oxygen, it gets oxidized, which then changes the fats, becomes inflammatory. Heat, oxygen, light, cause them to change. So we just need to take care of them. And then flax oil is really dicey. You got to be really careful with it because it oxidizes super, super fast. So have to buy it in the refrigerated section, in those black bottles, keep it cold. But really, if you're going for flax because of heart health, the research is really that um, flax seeds, fresh ground flax seeds is the better way to go for cholesterol and heart health. So if you didn't want to grind them all yourself every day, <laughs> then um, so you could grind a, you could get a coffee grinder or you know something like one of those little small ones, and you could grind um, quite a bit up and then store it in the freezer and then get out the spoonful that helps every day. That would really help. But buying them pre-ground at the store in the bulk bins and stuff like that, those are just they're not. They're for mm-hmm. show. Yeah, they're oxidized. But even if you ate them whole, you're not getting any of the fats out of them anyway. The shell is too strong. So you're they're basically used to create a gel that um, helps to move things through your, your intestines. I love the gel. That's my favorite word is mucilaginous. <laughs> 
flax seeds are mucilaginous, like chia seeds, right? So if you put liquid in with chia, we know that it causes that gel situation. So yeah, yeah. So I, I to me, it's super important. Like just the oxidized LDL is like one of the um, most problematic um, compounds that we have in heart health. Um, it creates a lot of um, issues. Um, it's contributes to the inflammation of the arterial wall and the plaque buildup. So I, it's, it is important, you know, to yeah. really be mindful of these things. If you care, I guess, about your health, I guess if you don't care about your health, then I guess it doesn't matter. Um, and so there are small things that you can make. And so even if you can't afford, you know, all, you know, grass fed things and whatnot, whatever, just Start with the best that you can do, and that would be, you know, good buy a good oil because it will last you a long time. We really don't need to use that much, and then um, a good salt. Um, they're pretty inexpensive compared to like how big the the jar is and stuff like that. It doesn't have to be like this really super, you know, fancy salt. Yeah, no, um, you don't have to buy like a sixty five dollar oil or. <laughs> Like the California um, olive oil is a good company. Um, They print the date on there. Um, Like I really like to use them. Costco usually has, has really good um, olive oils and um, salt as well in larger quantities. So if you go to somewhere like Costco, they usually have good quality, good quality um, versions of these things as well. They always have avocado oil now. Um, so do that. And then when you can buy these other, um, you know, better quality fats. And I think it sucks really bad that the things that we need to make us healthy to support our health cost the most. And so I, in no way do I think that it's fair. I think it's, you know, by design. Um, but whenever you can lean on that and then in order to kind of make up for these lower, when, when we do consume either fried fats or we can't buy grass fed beef, just eat extra broccoli and, or, um, cauliflower or any of those like cruciferous vegetables, all of that and high, you just like get higher plant volume in. And that does help to counterbalance. Always be vegan. Yeah. So there are some times that, you know, it's just, we do the best that we can, but whenever you can just try to, if you add in some more, um, veggies, just, and and they don't always have to be organic, just wash them well to get out Mm -hmm. whatever residue that you can. And, um, yeah, there's lots of water filters that you can get just, uh, you know, at the tap for your, um, sink, Mm -hmm. your kitchen sink. So those are fine. Those are usually pretty inexpensive. So maybe look into getting one of those. It doesn't have to be a whole water filter. We just had the opportunity to be able to do it um, when it was easy. So we did. And yeah. Thank you for all of this information. It is so helpful. I'm actually feeling inspired because I just ran out of my lemon olive oil. Um, and like I like all I like the avocado oil for cooking, but I don't. Yeah. I've been eating more salads lately because it's Cause hot it's outside. Hot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, ooh, I want some good salad oils. And one of my favorite places in Austin to go is Central Market for oils because they have a whole aisle just dedicated to different oils. So yeah. and they're not all expensive. Yes, they do have some that are higher quality and more expensive, but they also have their own brand. And they even have olive oils where they will tell you the specific olive. Ooh, so like and it will tell you like is this olive grassy or buttery or, you know. Yeah. yeah. 
We I'm go in- to, if you're in Austin or in the region, we go to the Phoenicia market. Ooh, yeah, I love Phoenicia. And so they have a lot of Mediterranean-based things and they have a olive oil in this huge jug that is like organic. You can even see like the residue of the olive skin at the Mm. bottom. I don't know. It's like 20 bucks. I mean, so cheap. And the olive oil is so good. That's a hot tip. I'm going to go. Hot tip. Yeah. So I highly recommend um, going and getting something like that because you can get some really good olive oil from some of these markets. I'm sure if you live outside of Austin, just look for some of the international markets and you will find, where is it? I think it's from Israel, the oil that we settled on. We tried a few and I think the one that we like the most is the- I'm like, will you take a picture of that and send it to me because I want to go get it? Sure will. Okay. Yeah. It's in a big old container. It takes forever to go through it, but it's in like a, a metal container with a good lid. So, um, so it lasts. So- Okay, so this is pretty easy. You just go upgrade your water, salt, and fat, and you'll be making bigger strides than you even know towards your health. All right, let's do our segment. Okay. We keep our eyes peeled for things in the media or in real life that come from diet culture or that perpetuate diet culture in some way. These are often the subtle ways it creeps in, which is why we are shining a light on it and sharing it with you. Okay, what do you got for us? Well, this was just something that I had Marco Polo do you over the mm-hmm. weekend. Yeah. Because we, we love to Marco Polo. So I had seen this Instagram post, and it was this doctor who I'm not going to call out. Um, <laughs> um, but something I learned about weight loss surgery that I didn't really know before. So she is a doctor that does surgery, which is the sleeve gastronomy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's the sleeve surgery where they basically take out 85% of the stomach, mm-hmm. including the fundus, which maybe so you know So is it is. a sleeve or they're actually removing it, like snip, snip? They're actually removing it. So I thought the sleeve meant something else, but at Me least too. in this particular thing, the way she explained it is she removes 85% of the stomach, including oh, wow. the, the fundus, which I guess is the stretchy part that connects. I don't know. You probably yeah. know. I don't know. I do. Um, this part is also the part of the stomach that contains cells that produce the hormone ghrelin. And so that is our hunger hormone. This is how we feel physical hunger. Is yeah, short-term hunger hormone. Yeah. So it's interesting because if we're removing that, you know, in her theory is that without the physical hunger, then, oh, all you have to do is manage your emotional hunger with therapy and then you're good to go. <laughs> I was like, wait, all you have to do? That's like the biggest part is managing emotional hunger and like therapy is kind of a big deal. And that's a lot, yeah. you know, for most people to manage. And she does say that she requires people to do it prior to the surgery because if you obviously good. can't get any gauge on that prior, then they're not going to be able to determine your post-surgery success. So yeah. she was, and she was very clear that, you know, the surgery alone is not successful without this other part but Which I did great because it's missing right right well, I mean that's the biggest part right so right. but I was like well in theory if we're taking away physical hunger and let's say you actually do tackle your emotional hunger then what I did message her back because I was like very curious about like does that mean you're a robot and now you have to live on a dedicated eating plan that you have to follow because you just don't have hunger at all? And like, why is there this war on hunger? Or do these people have very different hunger based off 
is it like depression or something where it's like a chemical imbalance, but it's a hormone imbalance with their body. Mm -hmm. So like, I still have a lot to learn here, but I just thought it was really interesting because I was like, did she respond back? Um, not yet. So I had asked her, I was like, wait, what did I originally say? I will tell you. My original question was, how do people learn to work with hunger or understand hunger without functioning ghrelin? Or like I had asked you, like maybe other areas start to produce it because the body is amazing. And sometimes if we're missing an organ or something, it will just start producing what we need anyway from other places, which is fascinating as well. And so I just told her I was really curious because we know the surgery requires these healthy habits. How can they learn without understanding their physical hunger? Like if we just take away the physical hunger, how does that work? Mm-hmm. And then she just kind of, she did reply to that one and said, you know, there is physical hunger, which is due to the ghrelin release. She called it head hunger or emotional hunger is due to the emotions or relationship with food. It can also be due to habits that we've created over time, like snacking. This type of hunger is not controlled by ghrelin, but by psychological reasons, which we know, this will not be fixed after surgery and they need to be tackled beforehand with therapy. But that's all she said. And I was like, well, that doesn't really answer my question, which is how do they know if they're hungry? Yeah. And my response to this on Marco Polo was, well, we do have leptin, which is our long-term hunger because it helps to control fat storage. And so sometimes what happens is leptin, we become leptin. um, um, So where our body stops responding to it and then not regulating fat, which is potentially how, you know, one of the mechanisms of, of obesity, it is very complicated. And then when we start to lose weight, oftentimes leptin will fight back and be like, whoa, 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 (laughs) this is not okay. And it will create hunger so you can keep the fat on. So we do have some other hormones that do play with it, but I agree with one aspect of what you're saying, which is that if we are taking out ghrelin, which is, you know, that the short-term hunger hormone, how can we teach people one, the difference between physical and emotional hunger, which is like a big part of what we do with people. Mm-hmm. And so if you never get the physical, then, you know, I guess you're relying on, well, I guess around this time I normally eat. And then I guess maybe you would start to get tired and notice some malnutrition like symptoms. And so then you would be like, well, I, I need to consume food to not have these side effects, but you would potentially have to be really regimented in it. And then, you know, your signaling would get off. So I don't love a hundred percent this idea. And the reason why we, I was like, I think we should talk about it is, is because even though she mentions that you have to do therapy, I think that's great. But a lot of people still, you know, just kind of will use surgery as the only way that they can lose weight, which in some cases that is true, but I feel like it's just so much more, like there's just so much yeah. more to it. And it's right. like, you know, where is their, what, what is, it's just as like the only way to be X, Y, and Z is to be thinner. And so it doesn't, I'm like, where's the, the more, uh, at, more of the person, you know, are they mm-hmm. even going to be happy with themselves, period? Mm-hmm. Even if you deal with like some of these, emo- you know, the emotional hunger, because like some, in some cases you could quote unquote, deal with emotional hunger in therapy, but there's still so much, you know, other mm-hmm. stuff going on that would cause you to 
I don't love it, yeah. but I know that it can be really helpful. Really, really helpful. I think it can be life-saving in a lot mm-hmm. of cases. And it can sometimes be the catalyst for larger change in some people. So right. it's not like I'm like fully like against it. Like don't right. do it. But I just think it's really interesting learning like, wait, this theory of like, let's just remove physical hunger <laughs> altogether. Right. Because I do think in the diet world, it's all about like, tackle your hunger. Don't be hungry. Like, but we're like, no, no, no. Like hunger is not the issue. Um, right. In, in a lot of cases. Right. So, in, and if hunger is an issue, a lot of times it's because it's like, oh, well, that's related to blood sugar regulation or something else that can usually be addressed through lifestyle change. So, mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to learn more. I did reply back to her because I did ask, like, what does that mean? You know, does that mean people would just be on a regimen or how does that work? So um, yeah. I can always uh, keep you posted on the update as I learn. Yeah, I just think it's fascinating. I struggle with it from a nutrition standpoint because when you alter the organs, I mean, at least it's not a full, but you know, you only have 15% of your capacity. So you can't really eat very much solid food, like eating beef would be really challenging because you've got only 15% of your stomach that will, uh, so you're not always going to fully be able to break down a lot of these things. And it's like, you know, hopefully the B12, I don't know, B12 is, you know, the first step of B12 absorption, which is super important to your nerves and your nerve health and all of that and energy is first step of absorption is in the stomach. So there's a lot of nutritional components to these types of weight loss surgeries that um, are really troubling for me. Um, And so you have to be careful of what you eat um, and be able to supplement because if not, you know, you're going to have probably this equal amount of damaging things from being malnourished. So... Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> I, sh- I sure hope that we gave you something new to think about today and helped you take one more step on your path to freeing yourself from diet culture. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram at path underscore nutrition. If you're interested in learning more about working with us and joining a one-on-one program, please visit our website at pathnutrition.com to get started. Bye everyone. Bye.